Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, November the 18th, 2022. It is currently 3.44 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And all I can say is this entire day has been an absolute disaster on so many levels. It has been horrible disturbing, troubling. I, I, I don't even know if I have the words to describe it. And, and it's really frustrating because what I'm supposed to do right now is turn on the microphone and we're supposed to talk about, well, the subject of meditation because that's the Bible study exercise this week, right? We were, we've been talking about the topic of meditation for the Today's Focus podcast series. We've been talking about meditation. So we've been talking about meditation for the Today's Focus podcast series and for the Bible study exercise. And I've wanted you to think about and meditate and focus on the subject subject of meditation so that we can hopefully develop a biblical understanding of the subject. And it's a very important subject, one that we, we still need to do much discussion about. But you would think, since I've been talking about meditation all week on two different podcast series, right? You would think then I would have woken up today and I would immediately grabbed onto something from God's word, a a theological truth, a biblical truth. I would have grabbed onto something and I would have begun meditating on it, right? Taking the facts of that topic, the facts of that scripture, the facts of that theology, and then by meditation, bringing them inside of me and having an internal conversation with it, an internal dialogue with it, where I'm contemplating the the concept and thinking about it and, and focusing on it so that it would lead to some kind of an emotional feeling and reaction, which would lead to, to change and transformation. We have been talking about that all week. However, I didn't even have an opportunity to grab on to anything spiritually. I did not because at uh, what? 6:45, 7 a.m. the front I opened the front door and guess what is discovered right there outside my front door. An injured deer. A deer that ha- had been severely injured, the best we can guess is it had been attacked by dogs and it's one of its legs was completely just I, he it could not put any weight on it at all it, it was gone it was, the, the leg had been so broken it it was, it was horrifying it was horrifying um and the deer was scared to death scared to death now i live in a residential area in abilene texas i don't live out in the country how it got here is still a mystery to many. Um, if you leave the residential area and then ride across that the, ro- the road right there, Beltway Park Road, I think it's Beltway Road or 707, whatever it's actually called, there's, there, are, there is a field there and there is some, some land out there where possibly deer could be. But just to get into the, to get across that road into the residential area and then make it to my front yard, what was it's just it's just crazy but I, and so you know what what can you do what can you do well 
Uh, one, I don't own guns. I know I live in Texas and I don't own guns. So that's number one. Um, number two, even if I owned a gun, I would have to find a, a way to, you know, get the deer in a position where it would be safe to, to, you know, discharge a, a weapon inside, well, city limits where, uh, you know, residential homes are all around me. Um, and, and, but I, I, I felt horrible. Like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So we contacted, you know, animal control. Um, they, they, they were going to send some people out while we were waiting for them to finally get here. We called some, another, uh, another number for like an, an animal rescue, uh, number that they rescue certain animals. Well, we were given some bad news. They do rescue animals, rehabilitate them, try to release them back into the wild. That's exactly what I wanted. But I guess Texas has a state law that prohibits the rehabilitation of an adult buck. It will not because of disease. So I'm like, this is horrifying. What are we going to do? So they sent the game warden out. So the first people who show up is the city animal control. They're like, well, we don't have any weapons. Well, we really can't do anything. And I'm like, okay, well, that's wonderful. And they were like, basically, peace out. And I'm like, this deer. So I've been sitting outside. It's like 30 degrees in West Texas, just sitting there on my driveway. And the deer just looking at me. And I'm talking to the deer, trying to reassure the deer, trying, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to bring some kind of comfort to the animal because it's suffering. I, I am an, uh, to say that I'm an animal person would be the greatest understatement in the world, okay? I, I'm literally upset, emotional, talking to the deer. I'm so sorry this has happened to you. I, I know your life is going to come to an end. You're suffering. I mean, like, what, what, what can you do? What can you say to an animal? Now, I know some of you are going to be like, oh, just shoot it. And, yeah, I, look, if you're that kind of person, I, I don't want your email and I don't, I don't really want to hear your big, bad, braggadocious talk about how you kill deer. And I don't, I don't really care about any of that. Okay. So, so just, so just that we understand one another. Okay. So I'm feeling horrible for this thing. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Now it, it, it had calmed down and it had laid down and it was just literally like I was pretty close to it and it it wasn't fearful it wasn't worried it it it, it wasn't breathing hard so it so it it seemed to just kind of really being calmed down and I'm like okay this is good okay this is good okay at least I can wait and then the game warden showed up she shows up and she's like okay well and <laughs> she's very matter of fact so she's like okay do you have any neighbors that direction that direction She's like, okay, we're going to have to kind of get it a little bit away from that house because it's your neighbor's house. And I got to kind of get it away. And then basically she tells me she, and, and, and this is going to be blunt, but this is how she said it. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot it in the back of the head. And I'm like, what? And I'm going to be here and have to help with this because she didn't bring anyone. So she needed assistance so that we could get a rope around it and try to bring it out so that she could safely discharge the weapon into the animal, into the deer, into the buck, and and it would be out of pain. I understood the the. It just seemed it seems so horror like the whole thing is just horrifying, right? So she goes to her truck, she gets some rope, and she has like a like a tarp, and I guess she's going to try to place the tarp over the deer and then rope. I don't know what she's going to do, but as soon as she comes back around, it's all of a sudden like the deer it registered in the deer. This person is not here to help me. 
this person is here to harm me. And immediately the deer jumped up and tried to run, but the one leg would not move. And it was just basically dragging that leg, went around to the back of my house and went down the alley and then just kind of was trapped. It was kind of trapped. And uh, I was like, this is horrifying. This can't, this cannot keep happening. This, this, someone's got to make this stop, please. Well, she walks back there and she's just watching it and watching it and watching it. And, and I, all right, someone just said, oh my goodness, how traumatic. I, oh, you don't even understand. So I keep walking back. They're like, what are we, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Finally, the deer, the deer keeps looking at her and the deer has decided, look, lady, I don't know your, your danger. He was okay. He, I, I was perfectly fine with him sitting right next to me. He was okay, but you stay away from me. And she kind of starts in that direction and the deer just loses it. And I don't, I don't know how it made it through, but it made it through this fence and ended up in, there's a field on, on, on to the side of us, a big field, um, lots of, I probably don't know how many acres, 20 acres. And it's just, sometimes there's cattle out there. Sometimes there's nothing. And, um, and there's no way, obviously it, like, I, it, I don't even know how it made it through it because the whole situation, you'd have to see the, 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 the electric company has built this giant fence right behind us. And it's like a very narrow alley. There's really no place for it to go. So I don't even know how it made it over there, but she said she was going to go over there and try to, and, and then basically take care of it. I, at that point, I'd already been sitting outside in 30 degree weather for, let's see, that was around 7 a.m. It was now what, 10, 10 o'clock, 10 30. It, it was, I don't even know. So at that point, I'm like, okay, I just, I've got to take a shower and get ready for my day and try to move on with my day. But I, all the whole time, I was just like, this, this can't not be happening. It was, horrible and it was horrifying. Now you may be asking, what does any of that have to do with meditation? Well, in some ways it has a lot to do with meditation. And and let me try to explain. Every day, life is going to throw a million distractions at you. Sometimes it's something horrible and horrific, like what just happened and what I just went through this morning. I, I mean, I'm still pretty emotional about the entire situation. I am not the kind of person that I'm the wrong person. Like on one, on one hand, I'm glad the deer felt so comfortable with me. But on the other hand, it was beyond my control and what I could do. But it I, obviously at that point, I wasn't meditating or focusing on anything. And I'm not saying I should feel bad or guilty because I wasn't meditating on anything. Obviously, there was a crisis right there and I was trying to take care of it. But the point is it's very symbolic. It's very illustrative of the reality of life that every day you wake up and you don't know what's going to happen. You have no clue what's going to happen. This problem, this difficulty, this frustration, this irritation, this un, unex, you know, unexpected event, this and this and this and this and this and this. And we do spend a good portion of our life distracted by everything around us. And we really, and we can't get rid of those distractions. It's not like you can just wake up and scream at everyone, listen. Stop distracting me and bothering me today. I'm trying to do spiritual stuff. So no, don't say mommy. Don't say daddy. Don't say you need anything. Don't say honey. Leave me alone. I'm going to meditate. It it, it doesn't work that way. You know that and I know that because that's not the way life works. But it does demonstrate the significance of making sure each day you grab onto something spiritual, something 
in some way, shape, or form, some biblical passage, a truth, a, 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 a podcast, a sermon, something, and the, the, the faster you can get that into your mind, you, get, you, you have the facts. Now, remember, the study is the gathering of facts. The study is the gathering of information. You have those facts. And then, hopefully, even in the midst of the distraction at different times, you can have an internal conversation about that spiritual subject, that thing, so that you still gain some spiritual benefit, even because you may not be able to sit down and do any more study. You may not be able to sit down and do anything else. But if you internalize whatever you did here, if you internalize whatever you did get, then it's right there for you to have that conversation with so that you can engage in that internal dialogue with it. You can, you can, you can, you can focus on it. You can, uh, you know, consider it. You, I, I think it's, I, I think it's uh, so important that that we do that because life, life will just immediately just like you wake up and you're like, okay, okay, I'm going to listen to this, I'm going to read this really quick, I'm going to do this quick devotional, okay, and within seconds, life is like, hello, 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 you've got this problem to do, you got this, you got this, you got this, you got this, and you can forget everything. But if you can bring it inside of you, then at different times throughout the day, you can just return back to what that was to meditate on it. And, and I believe, the and we've talked about this, especially in the Today's fo- Focus episodes, you really need to go back and listen to them all this week. I wasn't obviously able to do one today. It seems a little late to do it now. But I talked about, I think that's what happens with, with why church is so ineffective. Uh, because people go to church, they gather the facts, they get the notes down. But there's, they don't internalize it and do any meditation on it, so they forget it. And without the meditation, it doesn't do anything. Study is essential. And I want to make this very clear. Study is essential. Meditation without study leads to just emotionalism and spiritual anarchy and usually heresy. You got to have the truth and facts and biblical doctrine. You got to have truth. You got to have truth. But truth without the meditation just leads to spiritual arrogance and pride and self-righteousness and and it and 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 it and or it's just forgotten. You got to bring the study and the meditation together so that you can then hopefully benefit greatly from it. But I was just reminded just how quickly my entire day just was gone. I mean, here it is. Three something in the afternoon, almost four something now. Yeah, fast approaching 4 p.m. Central Time here in West Texas. My Friday is gone. Now, there was very little I could do. There was very little I could do. And I'm not in, I'm not saying that I should feel guilty about it. And I'm not saying anyone in the similar situation should feel guilty. But it just reminds me how quickly one hour goes to two hours, two hours goes to three hours. And you know how painfully I'm already aware of how fast every day goes by. I'm so painfully aware of time, so painfully aware. So just, just understand the significance of gathering on to something and, and really focusing on it. Now, I know we've spent 15 minutes. The goal of this episode, though, is to work on the curriculum. All right. So we're going to return. We're going to, we're not really, re- we're going to kind of, we've looked at the curriculum briefly. But we're going to return to the curriculum of for this week. I got to log back in. It logged me out. I got to log back in really quick. I was all logged in, but then I did a 15-minute intro. So, you know, it's like, uh, sorry, you can't do that. 
here we go. Let's log in to the curriculum. And remember, if anyone's listening to the Bible Study Exercise podcast series, the curriculum is available to anyone who would like it. Just email us at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I send you a link, and then you are in, okay? And if you have any problems, always let me know. But are you ready? Here we go. All right, here we go. Session four, that's the curriculum for this week, meditate on God's word. Now, it is interesting, the picture underneath that is a person wearing headphones, they have their phone in their hand. I would say they're listening to music because it looks like that they're moving, they're, they're involved in some kind of dancing. And um, what they really, they, they try to, I guess what the, the goal, it's kind of an odd picture there, I guess, for meditation. But I think what they're trying to say is that we listen to so many things. We listen every day. We're bombarded with messages and those messages get inside of us and we have to consider which ones we should really, 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 in a sense, engage in internal dialogue with. This is what they say, all right? Um, researchers contend that we are exposed to anywhere between 4,000 and 10,000 messages a day. That number might seem to be unbelievable until we consider the amount of time we spend in front of a screen. The average American logs more than seven hours a day looking at a screen. This includes more than three hours spent on our phones, nearly four hours on our desktop computers. We spend more than two hours of that time scrolling through social media. Additionally, on average, we watch television slightly more than three hours a day. At the same time, only 39% of those who attend church at least once a month read a bit of scripture each day. Only 39% of people who go to church at least once a month reads the scripture each day. Well, think of all the, every day you're bombarded with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of words. And those are the things that your mind is filled with, right? And then in many cases, those are the things that enter inside of you that you you contemplate, you think about, you you spend time with, and then th those are the things that begin to impact you emotionally. You're going to be impacted by something emotionally. You're going to be, in a sense, being changed and transformed by something emotionally. What is it that that is getting your internal focus, your, your internal attention? What are you contemplating internally? It's something. There's something going on inside of you. And it's usually because of all of these other messages that gets deep inside of you. Those stats reveal a troubling imbalance that poses a damaging effect on our spiritual vitality. We face a constant barrage of messages competing for our thoughts, attention, and allegiance. But how many of them are truly important and worthy of our time? By contrast, everything in God's word is vitally important and worthy of our time. We benefit greatly when we reg regularly read and think about and meditate on the truth of Scripture. Right now, just remember the first thing we need to do. I'm just going to say this. The curriculum doesn't go here, but I've tried to emphasize this all week. We've got to do the study portion. You've got to find time to study. You've got to find time to, to be at church and listen to a sermon. If you can't be there, listen to a sermon, listen to a Christian podcast. You've got to be gathering the information, the information, the information, the information. That's knowledge. That's study. That's, that's listening. And you need to be engaged in Bible study on your own. That's getting all the information there. But then at some point, You've got that. That's like locking it in a safe. That's like locking it in, in a protective cage. 
some point you've got to take the key and that's meditation and unlock it. So that information then enters inside of you and then you have a dialogue with it. And you can have the dialogue with it anytime, anywhere. Now the text for this week for the Bible study exercise is Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, they quote verses 1 through 3. We've already looked at Psalm chapter 1 briefly to look at the Hebrew word that's translated meditate there, but let's let's remind ourselves. You ready? Here we go. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, first and foremost, we have to just make sure we're dogmatic about this. The the blessed person, the truly blessed person in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, it, the only one who's ever truly accomplished whatever Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 is calling for is nothing more than Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He's the only one who never walked in the counsel of the ungodly, never stood in the way of sinners, never uh, was seated in the seat of the scornful. He was the one who delighted in the law of the Lord. He he was the one who meditated on it day and night. He was the one like a tree planted by the rivers that bringeth forth his fruit in a season. His leaf never, never withered, and whatsoever he did would prosper. Only Jesus Christ truly fulfills that. And, and ourselves, we fall short of that. Let's just make that like abundantly clear. Let's just get that out of the way. That is just a fact. And so in Christ, you do those things. In Christ, you are blessed. Now, in practice, we are called to try to live this. This, this is a way to a, a, a better sense of a Christian life. But you're going to fall short of that. We just need to establish that. The curriculum goes on to say, people talk a lot about happiness. Well, they do. People generally want to be happy. Our Our American founding fathers even wrote in our Declaration of Independence that the pursuit of happiness was one of those unalienable rights with which we are endowed by our creator along with life and liberty. We might think of happiness as having the freedom to do whatever we wish, but the Bible points a very different picture. The word happy in Scripture is often equated with the word blessed. Happiness can be fickle or driven only by outward circumstances. While that might capture the world's view of being happy, Scripture uses uh, seems to give us a deeper meaning. The psalmist said we find true happiness by delighting in the law of the Lord rather than walking in the ways of the world. So you think about it, we have two, two things presented to us. Here's the way of the world. Here's God's word. And every day when you wake up, you're presented with those two things. Here's the world. Here's everything in the world. And it's not here about condemning it as being sinful or being ungodly. It's not even about that. It's just, it's other than the word of God. It's something other than. And we have a tendency to allow all of those words and all of those images and all of those messages. And I'm not even here condemning it as sinful. They come flooding into our minds. So our minds are preoccupied with that rather than the word of God. Our minds is more filled. Our mind is more filled with those facts than it is the facts of God's word. Our mind is more filled with the opinions and so-called truths found in the world than it is with the word of God. 
So therefore, our thinking is almost always compromised because we have this other, this other thing influences our mind more than God's word. And the way to combat that is we have to fill our mind with God's word. And that is called study. Study is where we fill our mind with God's word. So, so on one hand, we've got that battle. Here's, here's the world. Here's God's word. And what we have a tendency to do is fill our mind with the world and not with the word of God. So then our thinking is more worldly than it is biblical. Uh, we, we, we think incorrectly. So the only way to combat the thinking problem is to saturate our minds with the word of God. And that is study. That is study. That is study. That is study. Right. But the study is just stays there in the mind. So you have the, you have, in a sense, the, 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 the word, the world, and you have the word of God. But at some point, the word of God has to go from the mind, has to get inside of us. And that's what meditation is what brings it inside of us, which then begins to change the heart, the desire, the emotions, because the world, not only will it give us all these things to put in our mind, it gives us all these things to appeal to our emotion, our desire, our flesh. So either we give our internal selves to the world, to its pleasures, to its flesh, to, to all of its fleshly ideas and pursuits, and we give ourselves to that, or our, our internal aspect of us, our emotions is given to the things of God. We, that's the constant battle. It, it, think of it this way. It's the mind and the heart. It's the mind and the emotions. It's the mind and the desires. Well, the mind is fixed through study, the inner, the inward part is only fixed by meditation. And when I say fixed, it's never made perfect, obviously. But the change, it begins to, how can we say this? At least, at least move us toward. We may never ever get close to the things of God in a meaningful way. All right. So I think that's very important. All right. Uh, the, the, and they, and again, I'll read this. The psalmist said, we find true happiness by delighting in the law of the Lord rather than walking in the way of the world. In verse one, the psalmist employed three different terms, the ungodly, sinners, and the scornful, to describe the people of the world, ungodly, sinners, and scorn, scornful. Now, I, I, instead of just trying to focus as people, and I understand that it's, it's kind of, I think it's personifying something as people, I think the ungodly sinners and scornful, all of that focus is really just on the on the world, the whole world system. It is ungodly, it is sinful, and it is scornful. It's all three of those things. That's all around us. That attitude, that that philosophy, the philosophy that is bombarding us 24-7 is ungodly, it is sinful, and it is scornful. And you should look at the, those three Hebrew words. I would give this as an assignment. Look up those three Hebrew words for ungodly, sinner, and scornful, and just notice in the ways that they differ. There may be some similarities, but look for the ways in which they differ, and just think of the, the world itself. Sometimes we re reduce this to just actual people, right? Actual people. But I think it's I think in some ways it's dealing with a bit, a broader concept, right? That all around us is this thing called the world that is ungodly, sinful, and scornful. And that it, it, that's always there, going after the mind and going after us internally, going after our emotions, all right? We will often be tempted to walk in the counsel of the world, 
follow the example of sinful humanity because the world's influence is both pervasive and persuasive, right? The world's influence is both pervasive and persuasive. Why is it pervasive? It's everywhere. Why is it pers- uh, why it, why is it pers- pervasive? It's because it's everywhere. Why is it persuasive? It is persuasive because it fits perfectly with what's inside of us. Look, the, the world, we can describe the world as the three ungodly, sinful, and scornful. That describes your nature. See, you are in perfect harmony with ungodly, sinful, and scornful. That is what you are internally. That is your depraved nature. That somehow Christianity forgets still exists. We almost act like that now that we're a Christian, it's just been obliterated, but it's still very much there. Inside of you, I want to make sure you understand this, inside of you is ungodliness, sin, and scornfulness. It's right there inside of you. And the world, when it speaks, you under, you hear, you hear it. You feel it because it's speaking your language. I want you to hear that when the world speaks and it speaks ungodliness, sinfulness, and scornfulness, it is speaking your language. You're like, oh, I love that song. Whoa, I love, man, this is my song. I love this thing because you, you're right in tune with it because it's very much your essence. So the, why the world, so the world's influence is so pervasive is because it's everywhere and it's so persuasive because it's literally saying what you already feel. I I know Christians love to go, how dare the world does this and how dare the world, and we point our fingers and I can't believe how ungodly and how ungodly. Well, usually while we're ranting and raving about it, inside us, oh, there's far more a connection to it than we want anyone to, to think. In fact, I think sometimes Christians who scream and yell the loudest about certain sins is because they're covering up the reality of the desire for said sin in themselves. Their hatred for the sin is really their loathing the reality of what's inside of them. And sometimes we have to just be honest and go, no, the, it's, it's in me. All right. So the world, the influence of the world is pervasive and it is persuasive. We could easily look for happiness apart from God. And we do every single day. But you cannot find it there. True happiness, God's blessing, comes when a person delights in God's word and meditates on it day and night. I will say this, for the believer, let me make this very clear, for the believer, for the believer, true spiritual happiness and contentment cannot be found in the world. If someone is not saved, I think that they can they can enjoy themselves and really like the things in the world far more than we sometimes as Christians want to pretend they can, right? Because, because it's already inside of them. It's their language. For us, as a Christian, yes, we've got that old nature that will find enjoyment and pleasure in it. But because we are Christians and because we now have been made alive to God, right? We now have turned our mind to God, a change of mind about God and a change of mind about ourselves. We're going to find ourselves in a very much a, a never ending battle, a never ending conflict where our, our nature says, 
That's what you want. That's what you need. Focus on that. Desire that. But then there's going to be another part of us that's alive to God because of regeneration that's going to say, no, 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 you don't want to do that. But the other part's going to say, but you want to do that. So sometimes what you don't want to do, you do. What you don't want to do, sometimes what you want to do, you don't do. What you don't want to do, you end up doing. That's the internal battle because you got the world around you pervasive. It is persuasive because it's speaking your language. Right. And so we, we run and constantly grab onto it, but I don't think we're ever, we ever, we always feel empty and, and, and not completely satisfied as a believer. We're going to be left with that for us. Our true contentment can true happiness, true peace has to be found. Well, in delighting in God's word and meditating on it. It has to be found in God by going against this. But that, but the thing is, this is important. God's ways, right? If you look at the, the, the way of the world, ungodly, sinful, and scornful, God's ways are different. It's not ungodly, sinful, and scornful. It is, it is holy. It is righteous. It's different. And God's word, the thing we meditate on, is speaking a completely different language than what our nature wants. So we find ourselves struggling to want to meditate on it because it's not. it goes against our nature. But we have to meditate on it so that because we got we have to th- study to get our minds to think differently but we meditate so that we can feel different so that we are being more our mo- our emotions are being more influenced by God's word than it is the things of the world because something is going to be impacting your emotions they go on to ask this question what comes to mind when you hear the word Meditate. Perhaps you envision a monastery where a group of monks sit with their eyes closed in deep introspection. Or maybe you think about someone embracing Eastern religion and attempting to empty his mind and connect to nature. Biblical meditation differs greatly from the, from the different representations of Eastern religions. Rather than emptying your mind of your negative thoughts, biblical meditation seeks to fill your mind with God's truth. That's where, and, and again, I, I think this is the way. I'm going to say it differently. Meditation takes God's truth. Like, like you, 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 you fill your mind with God's truth through study. Meditation now is you take that study and then you bring it inside of you. And rather than engaging you with nature or the universe, biblical meditation forges you more deeply in relationship with God himself, as you consider wholeheartedly his written word, you are, you are considering his written word, his truth. You're considering biblical doctrinal truth. That is what you are considering, but you get that through study, right? Uh, Sometimes people like merge these, but I like to keep them very separate. One is the gathering of facts and information. And the other one is I'm going to do something with it. Here's what they, they go on to say. Consider what happens when you regularly meditate on God's word. The psalmist compares you to a well-watered tree that bringeth forth his fruit and his season. Even a tree in a desert climate thrives with the proper water source. Likewise, a Christian follower who regularly regularly meditates on scripture can thrive even in the most difficult circumstances. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The prospering is not primarily physical or material. It's spiritual prosperity. While others might crumble over the adversity of the world, you can thrive because of the life-giving supply of God's word. This is the source of happiness and ultimate delight. 
This is you being blessed. All right. Now, I, I think I think there's a a lot a lot of a truth to that 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 there is clear benefits. But what then exactly is meditation according to the curriculum? Well, let me back up. All right, because I want you to see that they believe that there's a there's a benefit from it, and I think there is. But let's let's jump up or back. They argue that the Hebrew word used for meditate means primarily to be occupied with. To be occupied with. Let's go to the Blue Letter Bible app really quick. Let's go to the Blue Letter Bible app. Let's go to Psalm chapter 1. Now, we focused on a kind of a different emphasis, but let's go back to it. Just see if we missed something, all right? Uh, Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Let's click on that. Doth meditate. It's this Hebrew word. Strong's H, 1897. Haga. 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 Now, according to the curriculum, Haga, I got to go back down here and find it. Haga primarily means to be occupied with. And I, I'm not so sure Haga is primarily about being occupied with. Because if you look at it, it's used 25 times. Six times it's translated meditate. Four times mourn, like you're mourning for something, weeping over something. Four times speak. Two times imagine. Two times study. Two times mutter. Two times utter. One time roaring. Well, if you put that together, to me, it's more about speaking and feeling. There's a speaking and an emotional element. There's the mourning. There's the roaring, right? Strong's definition, to murmur. In pleasure or anger. Please note, it's to murmur. It's You're saying something, but it's connected to pleasure or anger. Um, to ponder, imagine, meditate, but then mourn, mutter, roar, soar, speak, study, talk, utter. The, the Hebrew word hagah carries the idea of speaking and emotion. Those are the two elements. That's why our definition is that Biblical meditation is taking God's truth, having an internal conversation, an internal dialogue with it, where you're talking to it. You're you're having a conversation with it. You're 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 you 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 are contemplating it. You you are having a a back and forth with it, and and that happens until there is emotion. And as some people may ask, well, where is the emotion coming from? Because that's literally what the Hebrew word deals with. It's the talking and the feeling, the outline of biblical usage, to moan, to growl, to muse, to mutter, to meditate, to devise, to plot, to speak, to roar, growl, groan, to utter, speak. See, all uh, it, there's this uttering and muttering and speaking and talking, but then there's the roaring and the growling and the mourning. The two, I don't, I don't see where it says, they, they argue that its primary focus is on, uh, let me go back to where they said it, to uh, occupy or to be occupied with, and I disagree with that. I, I don't think that that, at least not from Haggah used in Psalm 1. I, I, I think it's about speaking and feeling, speaking and feeling. The speaking is, uh, it's me having a conversation with what I 
heard, the truth I have studied until I feel something. That's what's missing for so many people who go to church. They go to church. They got the three points written down in their notebook. Congratulations. You memorize it. That's great. Now you are filling the mind with God's truth. That is a good thing. Hopefully it will change your thinking. But for to really have an impact, you've got to get it out of your brain inside of you. That requires meditation. Now, what a lot of people do, if they do talk about the sermon or talk about anything that they've studied, in many cases, it's simply to complain about it, gripe about it, disagree with it, talk about how it, how much an idiot the pastor is, whatever the case may be. But what they need to do is stop worrying about judging it and critiquing it and more about, yes, consider if it's true, obviously, but then take the, and even if there's elements of it that you don't like or, or you think are false, take at least what's true and bring it in and have that conversation with until you have some kind of a reaction to it. But I'll go on. They say the Hebrew word for meditate means primarily to be occupied with. I'm going to challenge that. Secondly, it means to mumble to oneself. So instead of just silently thinking to yourself, biblical meditation also involves audibly talking to yourself. Absolutely, I 1,000% agree. Now, I call it an internal dialogue, but I think it's an internal dialogue that manifests itself somehow externally. Now, you don't always have the opportunity to have the audible part, but internally, you you definitely need to have that part. But if you can, you need to have an an audible conversation about what you have been studying. You need to talk it out. I talk about this. I, do, I See, the thing with me is this is just natural for me. So I don't even have to work on this because I do this with anything. I read a book. Man, I'm talking to the book out loud while I'm reading it, right? And after I'm done reading a novel, I will spend hours just sitting there thinking about it and go, well, what about this? And what about that? And okay, what were they trying to say here? I do the same thing with a movie. A movie is over. Boom, I'm ready to have a three-hour conversation about it, right? I'm like, okay, well, what about this? And what were they trying to say here? And I think the message was this. And why did they use that camera angle? And why was that lightning hit? And and on and on. And everybody's just like, just stop talking. Okay, we, we stopped talking about the movie five minutes after the movie. We're ready to talk about something else. And I'm like, you know what? Just get me, drop, stop the car. I'll just walk home and have a good conversation with me, myself, and I, because we're going to contemplate this. We are going to discuss this. We're going to meditate on it. It, it drives me crazy. It's, so how was the show? Oh, it was okay. What, what do you mean it was okay? Like, didn't you have like 9,227 million emotions and thoughts? And some people say, well, I don't need, you're right. You don't need to do that with a movie. You don't need to do that with a book. You're right. But you do need to do it with God's word. That's where the, that's where, that, that's, it gets inside of us. We have a reaction to it. We feel something. So I do believe, so they focus on the occupied with. I don't even know where that comes from. It is a, it, it is the mumbling to oneself. It is a biblical meditation involves talking to yourself, but you're talking to yourself about the biblical truth you have studied. That's what you're talking to yourself about. You're having a conversation with it. Until then, then the emotions come in. You're growling, roaring, mourning, you're joyful, pleasure, something happens. 
So many times, I, I say this all the time in my preaching. So when you guys read that, what did you do with it? What did you do with it? And, 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 and I, I can almost always see when I ask people in church that question, they almost get irritated with me because, because I ask it constantly, but I'm always just dumbfounded. I'm like, you've been reading the Bible for 15 years. You've read this passage 5,000 times and you never felt or did anything with it. Well, what was the point? You just read words, you know, the words, but you didn't like something had to happen. Didn't you go, well, wait a minute. That makes no sense. Well, wait a minute. What do I do? I like, no, what you, the correct answer should be. Well, I had about a 45 minute conversation with myself about it and I felt frustrated and I felt irritated or I was bothered or it disturbed me or I was happy about it. I did something with it. But if you don't have anything, that means those words went from the page to your mind, and that was the end. So now you can answer the Bible trivia question. You can win the Awana ribbon. You can win the Awana trophy. You can go down to the Awana store and get some toys. But it, that's it. It, says it doesn't do anything. It's like when someone says, oh, well, I like that song. Oh, you do? What do you like about it? Well, it's got a good beat. That's it? <laughs> that's it? <laughs> Nothing else. Nothing else. It, it didn't. You don't feel something. It didn't do something. Okay. All right. Never mind. 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 Now I understand personalities definitely come into play here, and everyone's different. I completely understand that. But biblically speaking, you're challenged to meditate on God's word. I here. Here's what I want you to do. So let, let's. I'm going to start giving you some uh, assignments really quick. All right. Here's your assignments. Number one. Just look up the Hebrew words for ungodly, sinner, and scornful found in Psalm 1 just to see the differences between those words so you can kind of see the differences there and see if there's any differences. And then I just want you to look up every scripture from Genesis to Revelation where the word meditate, meditation, any, any of those kinds of words are used. Just make a list of all of them and just read them. That's all you have to do. You don't have to, you don't have to write anything out. We just need a good list of, of the words meditate and meditation. Write them out. Write them on paper if you can, all right? Read them. Th those are simple assignments. Those are simple assignments. But I want you to see that it, it's getting that stuff inside of you. All right? Um, they go on to say here, if I can find where I, I skipped down here. I skipped way down. All right, the Hebrew word used for meditate uh, means primarily to be occupied with. I am calling that into question. I'm calling it majorly into question. Second, it means to mumble. I completely agree. So instead of just silently thinking to yourself, biblical meditation also involves audibly talking to yourself. I agree. It means talking to yourself. And he says, put the two meanings together. You are, you are to continually keep God's word at the forefront of your mind and speak his truth over your circumstances. But how do you do that? I don't know about speaking his truth over your circumstances. I don't think that has anything to do with biblical meditation. And has nothing to do with Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 is you meditate on it day and night. It is inside of you. You're having a talk, a conversation with it until you feel something. Let's not overcomplicate the meaning of the word. The meaning is right there. Hagah. The, that's the word. Now, there may be some other Hebrew words for meditate or meditation that we need to look at. We looked at one in Psalm 104. We looked at that one. So we've at least looked at two, but it, they're basing it off Psalm 1. And, and what's frustrating, they don't even give the Hebrew word. They just say the Hebrew word means this, but they don't tell you how they drew that conclusion. All right, let's uh, read a little bit more here. All right. Um, 
He says, there is an, an indelible link between meditating on God's word and memorizing it. Possibly. For God's word to be readily available on your tongue, it must be written internally on your heart. Scripture memory is, the, is, a, uh, is a fifth practice involving God's word for the maturing believer. A maturing, uh, maturing Christ follower should regularly read God's word, hear God's word, study God's word, meditate on God's word, and memorize God's word. I got no problem with that. I think every Christian needs to read it. That's true. They need to hear it preached and taught. That's true. They need to study it. And when we say study, actual study, Bible study methods, actual study, then we need to meditate on it. And I believe study and meditation are two separate things. The study gets you the facts. Meditation brings it inside. And so this is what you find in the Christian. I I say this all the time. The most important word in Christianity is balance because all of us are unbalanced in our Christian life. Even our churches are. So you have some churches are very much on meditate, 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 meditate on God's word. Feel something, feel something. Your emotions, your emotions, your emotions. But they focus on all of that at the expense of truth. It's no, They don't actually study. It's not about hermeneutics. It's not about theology. It's not about doctrine. It's not about a proper Bible study method. It's just you read it and then you feel something. So what happens over here with the ones who just focuses more on the meditation emotional part is it becomes they become an emotionally unstable, up and down, up and down, up and down. And their Christian life is inconsistent and a mess. And they usually end up in a biblical and theological heresy, right? That's where they end up. But on the other side, you have those who don't ever want to talk about the emotion or the meditate. Just study, 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 study. And they're the ones walking around like a biblical encyclopedia. But in many cases, they become arrogant, spiritually prideful, self-righteous, condemning. And in many cases, they have the knowledge but their Christian life just seems dead, dry, joyless, just miserable existence. The two must be married. The two must become one. It has to happen. So we have to read it. We have to hear it. We have to meditate on it. Oh, we definitely need to memorize it. We definitely need to memorize it. Uh, it's so... What a difficult discipline. Is it that not a difficult discipline? Like I will, I will like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to memorize it. And I'll use the, our Bible memory app and I'll start like posting stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And next thing you know, I forget it. And I'm off doing other things. It, it is, it is a discipline, but we need, we need to work on all of those. All right. Um, there we go. I'm just going to stop right there. I'm just going to stop right there. You can uh, read the rest of the curriculum. You can read the rest of the They go on to Philippians 4.8. Uh, we already talked about Philippians 4.8 this week, and I told you how much I despise Philippians 4.8 because it's been used as a baseball bat to beat people over the head, and I think in such a way it's been used as such a weapon that people misses the point, but we won't get into that right now. So, uh, so your homework is simple. Your homework is simple. In Psalm chapter 1, you read the, uh, the ungodly, the sinner, and the scornful. Look up all three Hebrew words just to see how they, just note the differences between them, just so that we get a feeling for that. Um, look up all the places in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation where you find the word meditate, meditation. I know there are other words that would go along with it, but just focus on meditate and meditation. 
just read them, just get a feel for it. I think I think that's the main thing. And I want you just to really, I'll, really, I don't really want you to have to do much work. I just want you to really try to understand the significance of both. The significance of both. I think some people are drawn to the study. And they don't like the meditation part. Some people are drawn to the meditation part and they can't stand the study part. We, we need both. But meditation without study is dangerous. It's spiritual zeal and passion without knowledge, and you will make a shipwreck of your Christian life. But study without meditation just puff us, puffs us up spiritually, and we become, we become intellectually better than we were. But some, you know what's weird? You can, be, you, you can become intellectually better spiritually speaking, like like spiritually, you can become intellectually better. You know God's word better than anyone. You know doctrine and theology. doesn't mean you're going to be spiritually better, right, in, in a meaningful way, because um, that requires meditation. We need both. All right. I'm just going to stop right there. We covered a lot of very important concepts there, right? I didn't write them down in an outline like number one, number two, number three. I probably could have, but that's okay. Um, what we'll probably do, I, I, someone asked me, or what are we going to do next week? Well, probably tomorrow, I'm going to try to post, uh, I, I believe it's, it's because it's in, it's, uh, I don't believe that there's a copyright or anything on it. I believe it's in public domain. I've got a a, a little booklet that's, um, different sermons on meditation. And I'm going to see if I can uh, upload that to our Church One app, Sermons 2.0, and uh, people can access that and look at it. So we may do a little bit of work on that next week. Um, if we go with the curriculum, if we go with the curriculum, let me back out of this. If we, if we go with the curriculum, we should be, all right, hang on. I need to get to the curriculum. Here we go. Um, we, uh, meditate God's word. And then the next one is supposed to be obey God's word. Oh, from James chapter one, 19 to 27. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. That would raise 9 million problems that would turn into a six month series right there. So I don't know. I don't know if we'll do that. Um, we've dealt with the book of James in the past and, oh man, so much work went into that. So I don't know if I want to re revert back to that. The only thing is, like, the reason I say that is there's no way we could cover it in a week. Uh, we we may do we may do a little work on it. We may do a little work on it, but it does raise serious questions. All right. Um, then, uh, yeah, coming up. Let's see what what's what are we going to be doing here? Let me look here. Um, we're going to be looking at Psalm 33 coming up. So who knows? Um, we may we probably do a little bit of extra work on on meditating on God's word. We may do a little bit of extra work on that, and we may mix in some other things. We may mix in some other things. But right now, you don't uh, just focus on well meditation, understanding it. If you have questions or thoughts or observations, please email them to me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. 
And just know every day is going to present you distractions and challenges. Every day you're bombarded with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of messages. We've got to fill our mind with God's word. That's study so we can change the way we think so we think more biblically. All of those things out there, all the the ungodly, the, the sinful, the scornful, all of that speaks the language of our nature. Our nature is drawn to it. That's what it feels. And to fight that internal issue, we've got to get God's word internally into us through meditation until we feel it, until something happens inside of us. We've got a two, there are two fronts to the war we're fighting, our mind and our heart, our mind and our heart, or we can say our mind and our emotions. I know the Bible sometimes kind of merges those two concepts, but I'm separating them, and I hope that makes sense. All right, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Twala, if you're still listening, thank you so very very much for tuning in on this Friday afternoon where it's been crazy here, but uh, at least we were able to find some time to focus again on this very important concept. Thanks for listening. God bless.